0: there, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 28 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. We have the phenomenal opportunity to have our friend Dick Foth back on a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we'll jump into our interview with the Supreme Court Justice of the state of Oklahoma, Dustin Rowe, where we have a phenomenal uh, discussion about leading um, as a a judge and um, decision-making. Dick, is so excited to have you back on the Podcast with us.
1: You know, every every time I come, I enjoy seeing your smiling face.
0: <laughs> I appreciate if it. If I
1: ever have a if I ever have a skin disease, you're my guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dick, I got two questions for you today. Um, the first one is: it appears that ministers and missionaries are beginning to transition after a rough year of 2020-2021. For someone transitioning in ministry or out of ministry. What wisdom do you have for them in the moving process?
1: yeah I think um, I think those two categories, transitioning within ministry and transitioning out of what is called a vocation of ministry, those are sort of two different pieces. yeah but I think um, there's a friend of mine who's been with the Lord for almost 20 years now who is a a spectacular chemistry professor at the University of Illinois, who got invitations to be dean of universities and president, and he never did that. Mm. And I said, how do you look at transitions? And he said, you know, I assess every three years. Mm. He said, I think about, okay, what am I doing now? Am I supposed to be doing something else? Do I feel called to do something else? And then I nail it down for three years. So I don't take any offers or I don't give hmm. consideration. So I found that a very interesting approach. Very interesting. But I think in, in a nutshell, I would say, whatever the transition is, it needs to be done for the right reasons. Hmm. And sometimes, i.e. the past year with COVID and all that, uh, where we feel so cut off and all of, and all of that, it, that puts a tremendous amount of emotional slash spiritual pressure mm. on us. Yeah. That that is clearly not normal or mm. at, at the normal levels. And so but if there's some way to manage that mm. so that I make transitional moves for the right reasons, that's important. Yeah. I I I've often talked about, you know, when I was a I was a pastor for a dozen years back 100 years ago. <laughs> and and, and there, there were a couple of times when I sort of Got the itch, if I could yeah. put it that way. And it, it was what I call second-degree restlessness. That is, hmm. I needed to evaluate where I was, hmm. but it did not require me to make a geographic move.
0: Unless it was
1: handwriting, handwriting yeah. on the wall, right? Yeah. The other thing is understand where you are in your life. Hmm. If this is... Um, if, if this is a young person, by young everybody's younger than I am, but but I think the idea of if it's somebody in their twenties or thirties, that's a different approach than if it's somebody, as as we know in missions work, third term missionaries, oftentimes the parents yeah. are getting older, the kids are graduating high school, you know there are there are mechanical or functional reasons why we move a lo- from a locale, yeah, but I, I think those two things transition for the right reasons. And understand where you are in your life and how important uh, it is, or to think that through. Ruth yeah. and I have made four big moves, hmm. and almost all of our tenure in each of the places has been fourteen to fifteen years. Huh. And I tell people when they ask me, you know, I I have difficulty holding a position. You know, over here <laughs> and then there. I know I have friends who have stayed in the same place for thirty-eight years, yeah. so I'm a little flaky in that regard. But I know about. <laughs>
0: The second question, Dick, that's kind of, you might've already answered it, but I don't know if you have more that they sent is, how do you know when it's the right time to move out of ministry?
1: So I don't know if this is, if I'm reading the language wrong in the Mm -hmm. question, but um, let me frame it this way. Okay. I, if I ask a, what we would call a lay person, someone, a business guy in a congregation, um, what do you think the role of a pastor is? They will say, if they're mature, if they know the work, they'll say, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry mm-hmm. and, and that idea of that idea of ministry is yeah. that I as the leader am the facilitator for others. Yeah. So when somebody asks me, and I don't think this might I don't think this is exactly the question okay. somebody asks me. When did you know it was the right time to move out of ministry? I say I haven't moved out of ministry. Hmm. Uh, I've only st- I've changed roles. Okay. I've only stopped running something. It's the same response to when people say, "Are you retired?" Hmm. I say, "No. Yeah. I just don't run something anymore." And I stopped running something in 1992 when I left Bethany College at the age yeah. of 50. Yeah. B- but the work I've been in since then hasn't required the running of an organization, and so now. I find myself still in ministry, but collaborating in ways that I didn't before. Hmm.
0: Awesome, awesome, Dick. Really appreciate it, and um, really appreciate your wisdom, insight, and your experience, and uh, bringing that to us. And uh, you're spending some time with us on 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 the podcast. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Dustin Rowe. at a awesome time with him. Thanks to Bill Moore who, who set us up and uh, set up the interview with Dustin and uh, just great to learn from him. He was, Dick, he was one of the youngest um, mayors ever. I think he was mayor of a, a town at, at 18 and uh, wow. now is, serves on the Supreme Court in, in Oklahoma and uh, had a great discussion about gentleness and just phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal young leader. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with uh, a new friend. Um, we got to chat a few days ago um, just to get to know each other. And we're here with the Honorable Dustin Rowe. Who, and Dustin, it is so excited to have you on the podcast with us today. Um, would you just take a minute or two and introduce yourself to the audience?
2: Well, greetings and good morning, Aaron from Oklahoma. Uh, I'm Dustin Rowe. I'm, I'm very honored to join you today and it's quite exciting to be talking to someone around the world uh, sitting in the comfort of my office in Oklahoma City. So what a wonderful privilege that is. Um, but I'm, I'm honored to be here and I say good morning and greetings from Oklahoma to your audience, both yeah. in the United States and around the world. Yeah. And uh, I greet you in the name of the Lord. And I'm so excited to, to have this discussion this
0: morning. Uh, we're excited to have you and honored to have you um dust dust i looked back uh, when i was uh bill moore um but he was the one that suggested that i ask you to be on the podcast he thinks very highly of you and uh bill's a great friend and so um as i looked i see that you're you began in leadership at a very young age and then now you're serving on the supreme court uh, of an oklahoma can you just share just a little bit about that journey from leadership at a young age and then how God's brought you into this and continues to allow you to speak in, in, in levels of influence and impacting people's lives.
2: Well, um, I was born and raised in uh, Tishomingo, Oklahoma, uh, a small community in southeastern Oklahoma. And I uh, believe in probably the third grade, uh, my parents uh, and their children, myself, my two siblings, began attending the Assembly of God Church in Tishomingo. Yeah. And uh, that is my home church today, some 30 years later. And as most Oklahoma kids, in the summer I attended the Assemblies of God kids camp for children and youth camp for, for teenagers. Attended both of those many years, I have great memories of uh, my time. At that. then it was... Um, I believe Turner Falls, which is a camp in the hills of the Arbuckle Mountains. And uh, when I was 16, it was at that camp that I felt uh, led that I would be called into service. Uh, and didn't really know what that meant. I just began to pray at that time. I thought maybe uh, missions might be my direction, but then it became quite clear that it would uh God would give me an ability to to work in government and just to have a secular job, but to, um, that in some way I would work in government or serve in government. And then that was sort of um, came to fruition quite quickly, Aaron, uh, at the age of 18, 11 days after my 18th birthday, I was appointed to the Tishomingo City Council and Subsequently, elected mayor about two months before I graduated high school in Tishomingo wow. and served two two terms as the youngest mayor in, in Oklahoma and the nation at that time. And so I, I've always felt that God spoke into me that government would be where I would serve. I did not know where. Yeah. Um and I had no idea that at some point I would end up on the Oklahoma Supreme Court. But here I am. <laughs> wow. And uh, I, I'm I'm very honored to be here serving the people of, of the great state
0: of Oklahoma. Yeah, man, that's exciting. And so as a young age, you know, as I read that, I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's to be a mayor um, at that age. You know, I would think that you learned a lot of leadership lessons. And sometimes, you know, is there just a, a lesson that you learned as you were leading at a young age and um, something that maybe sticks out? Because we, many of the missionaries and those that are listening in, um, many are young, they're learning, they're serving on the field and learning to lead when you're young it proposes a lot of challenges. And so is there just a, a, a lesson maybe you learned or something that as a young leader that's, that was stuck out to you?
2: Well, um, I, I was probably not the most normal a uh, teenager I, my mother told me when i was a teenager I, that i acted like a 40 year old so i, I, <laughs> you know, I wasn't the typical teenager but i think god gives each gifts each of us in the calling that he places on us and so my interest even from a very early age um was in government um i i had an i think a natural understanding of it in mm-hmm. a in a very natural interest, I was drawn to it, and so uh it made sense to me, and it was something that I enjoyed. So when most teenagers were interested in doing what teenagers do, my greatest passion was to go to city hall and work on ordinances and and, <laughs> and, and, and city city business and On Friday nights, when my friends were dragging Main street, I was riding around with the police officers and talking about law enforcement issues so the that was just a natural interest that I think God placed in my heart at that yeah. time. Yeah. And, and that's also been my prayer today that wherever I am, wherever you are, yeah. it might, we might find ourselves in a position that we would not have sought hmm. that we necessarily would not have picked. Yeah. But my prayer has been, and I learned this at an early age um, to ask the Lord to give us a desire and an interest hmm. and an understanding hmm. to work in the place where he places us. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is something I learned as a teenager um, and serving as mayor. And I have found that that's been true all my life. Hmm. When I was a law student, um, you know, the law is not at times the most exciting topic <laughs> In the world <laughs> you know, Google, Google. sit in the library for hours and hours and hours and bar exam but my prayer at that time was god give me an interest in this such that this is what i want to do that i want to sit here and read this very boring topic and find it interesting and so that has been something that i've always done and i would encourage um all of our listeners today to do as as we find ourselves in various and sundry places that maybe we did not expect. Yeah. And certainly being mayor at age 18 was not something I would have expected.
0: Amen. That's a good uh, word. That is a good word. A good word. And as you, you continue to lead, I mean, you're, you're serving on the Supreme court and uh, you know, you're, you're still a young man and, um, and you're, how have you learned to, you know, being a leader, serving and serving and allow people to trust you and, um, the people you're serving to trust you. And then also the people you're serving with, how have you learned? Yeah. Just some, any wisdom or insight you would have for us about people trusting you and the people serving you, um, serving with you, trusting you. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it it does. Um, and, and there's probably many different approaches to to that. Um, I think, trust requires confidence. Um, in order to trust someone, you need to have confidence in them. You, you're in the medical field and, um, I'm sure you would understand that in order for your patients to trust you, yeah. the first requirement is they have to have confidence yeah, it's good. that you know what you're doing yeah. and that you care about them yeah. and that you are there to help them. And yeah. then, um, with confidence will come trust. And so I, I approach this job the same way. Um, I, I want my colleagues and I want the people of Oklahoma yeah. to have confidence in me, confidence that, number one, I am here for the right reason. Hmm. Uh, you know, many people, I think, Aaron, they seek titles, they seek positions, maybe they seek authority. I don't view this as a job of authority or a title that I ever saw uh, I saw it as as an opportunity truly to serve. Um, hmm. it, God placed in my heart a desire as a young person to serve. I wanted to serve, and I saw it. Lord, show me where I can serve and yeah. serve the people. So, first off, for trust, I think confidence that, that I'm here for the right reason, that I'm, I'm here to serve, and secondly, with that, that I'm I'm here to work. Hmm. Uh, you know, when you work at a court especially at the Supreme Court, um, it's not an office where the public comes through on a day-by-day basis. It's it's a job that is sort of removed from a layer of public access. Hmm. Uh, for instance, um, most of our work is done by reading briefs mm-hmm. and by conferencing amongst ourselves. We rarely ever, we would never likely meet the parties in person hmm. or have them in the courtroom because hmm that happens at the trial court. Yeah. This is the Supreme Court. But I said that to say, um, as with any job, um, you get what you put into your work. And there is a way that this job could maybe be done without so much effort. Um, I could sit at home and read my briefs and do my research uh, at my house every day. Yeah. But You mentioned trust. I want to have the confidence of my colleagues that Hmm. I'm going to get here every day and work hard. I'm going to put in a hard day's work. And I've learned that by doing that, even though there may be ways not to do it. By doing so, you build the confidence of, of colleagues, of patients, of clients that you really care. You're really devoted to the work. And I think with that will come a trust so that if I speak, I hope if I speak if I take a position that there's enough trust due to the confidence in my work yeah. ethic that That's I good. am speaking uh, wisely yeah. and that with with knowledge and with understanding, uh, having earned the confidence yeah. of that work ethic, uh-huh. so uh, I, I just encourage. I think it's Christians uh, and as public servants, yeah, uh, um, it's incumbent upon us to work hard.
0: Yeah,
2: to have the confidence. You can't have trust just by your title. Yeah, that's right. True. That's you, true. you can't. You can't. Um, it takes many times months or years to earn trust. Yeah, yeah. For and sure. uh, I've I've learned that both practicing law and in many endeavors in my life, and and I know you and our viewers as well. And whatever we do, a pastor. Yeah, a missionary. Yeah, you know missionaries that have the trust of local pastors back home to invite them into their church when they return. um, That trust is gained through years of confidence, both by by being devoted to the calling, by being devoted to the work. Day by day, month by month, year by year.
0: That's a good word. Good word. So you you mentioned, you talked about working on as a justice of the Supreme Court of Oklahoma. What does that, honestly, you know, what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like. And you talked about reading briefs and, yeah. What does on a leadership level, what does that look like to be a justice of the Supreme Court of Oklahoma?
2: Well, um, sadly, most of my tenure thus far was, has been during a pandemic. So okay. I've a little bit um, <laughs> it from the typical job, as we yeah. might say. Um, you know, I don't think this is a glamorous job. Uh, hmm. I don't think this is a job where you would come for the title or for to make money or yeah. for a position. This is a, this is a job where you largely work out of public sight. Hmm. Um, you can serve as a justice in your face, never be seen or virtually hmm. never be seen. Your work is in writing. Our writings are published weekly in the bar journal and in the reporters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, on a practical level, it, it's, it's a job really in my view where you, you need to be a workhorse and not a show horse. It's not a political mm-hmm. job where you know, we don't have press conferences. We're not seen on the news. Courtrooms are not allowed to, uh, to have cameras in. Yeah. So it's, it's really a job where, uh, the work is done out of the public. Yeah. And, um, In some respects, Aaron, uh, it's my hope, and I think it's been hopefully the practice of our court system in so operating, and not only here in Oklahoma, but around the country, that maybe that is a way to instill confidence in the judicial system. Uh, We are a co-equal third branch of government, and Hmm. our decisions carry very significant consequences, and thus it's important that there's confidence in our work and in our product. Yeah, And so the work is done in a way, I hope, that instills public confidence, that judges are not out giving uh, talks on the street or holding conferences and berating uh, their colleagues who vote differently. It, it is a level, I would say, of um, collegiality that's still very formal, yeah, uh, very respectable among each other, even of different philosophies, wow. even of different judicial philosophies. And that's something that I've enjoyed when we're in core there's a high level of decorum yeah a level of decorum sadly that may not exist in other venues other branches uh, to the level that it exists
0: here and I hope we keep it that way yeah and that's that's a challenge for all of us. I don't. I don't know if that level of respect exists on the on Main Street. Um, and so it's great to hear that, <laughs> that, it, that <laughs> it, does, it does exist some, It does exist somewhere. So, as Christian leaders, you know, we're often confronted with making decisions that are challenging. How does your your Christian faith and you've you've shared uh, eloquently about how God has called you into public service? How does that impact your role as a Supreme Court justice?
2: Well, um, number one, this is a secular job. Hmm. This is not a church job. It's not a job of of the clergy. Right. So, you know, if you go and talk to a minister and they say, I was called into the ministry. Well, that's they're called into a job of of the faith. They're called into a job um, that's non-secular, if you will. Yeah. And, and this is a secular job. Uh, yeah. my, my oath that I take it has to be my guiding light. My yeah. oath to support, obey, and defend the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of Oklahoma. Hmm. But even though it's a secular job, um, and even though my duty is to my oath, my faith is still important to me because I yeah. still have a right under the First Amendment to freely exercise my faith. I just have to be mindful that my, my oath has to be my guiding light. And it seems to me um, that Christians need to understand, Aaron, that there's many ways to serve the Lord even in a secular job. Hmm. Number one, how do I act toward my colleagues? Do I act Christ-like? How do I treat them? Yeah. Do I have a work ethic? That's honoring of my faith so that the public knows that even though I'm working in a secular job and even though I'm not applying uh, my faith into my work, you know, I'm I'm writing law that is secular. I'm not writing church law. Right. But even though I'm doing so, am I working as unto the Lord with my work ethic? So there's a lot of ways that we can exercise our faith in a secular setting. Hmm. In a way, hopefully, that demonstrates that we are living for the Lord. Yeah, that's a good word. That that can be done other than in a pulpit, I I do believe. Um, You in the medical profession, you practice medicine. Yeah. That's a secular job. Yeah. But how do you treat your patients? Do you have compassion, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. And so that's how I look at um, my role here. And let me say that this week – it's been reminded to me in my spirit that I, I need to walk in gentleness. Hmm. Um, it is sometimes difficult in, as a judge um, to be gentle. Hmm. Uh, in the flesh, you know, it's a temptation not to be gentle. Yeah. And so I hope my faith can guide me that I need to be gentle, gentle yeah. toward my colleagues, gentle toward my work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What does that what does gentleness look like on a practical level? Um, you know, we I've I've done over 110 uh, interviews and um I've never interviewing Christian leaders. And it's impactful for me for you to share that gentleness. And you know, we it's a fruit of the spirit, right? But uh, it's one that we don't necessarily um talk about. So, yeah, could you just unpack a little bit more about gentleness and why that's that's um become relevant to you and how we practice that
2: well it is uh maybe our natural inclination in the flesh or maybe i should speak my natural inclination in the flesh to be other than gentle Hmm. you know i liken it to um a pickup i used to have when i was young and it was um going down the highway, the steering wheel had a tendency. It was a natural inclination to pull over yeah. the center line. Yeah. And I constantly had to consciously yeah. make an effort to keep this pickup in my lane. Yeah. The natural tendency was to go in the other lane. And I thought a lot about that in the faith. It can hmm. be my natural tendency to be short with people. Hmm. It can be my tendency as a judge, particularly, this is tempting as a judge, because yeah. when you're a judge, Aaron, and you put on your robe, when you say something, people don't have the liberty to challenge you. Wow. When you say something, that's it. Hmm. Um, and that can lead to a tendency to be less than gentle. Wow. And so I want to pull it back to the center line, yeah. <laughs> even though the tendency may be to be short, short. To be abrupt, maybe to not listen because I may think I'm already correct. Yeah. Gentleness prompts me as a judge yeah. to slow down, yeah. to listen, yeah. to be thoughtful and deliberative. And most importantly, for a judge, to be respectful. Yeah. Gentleness is respectfulness.
0: Yeah, for and sure. uh,
2: that can be a temptation for me. Uh, At times. yeah. So that's 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 a challenging
0: word. Challenging word. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it very, very much. Uh, You don't mind if I you don't mind if I be transparent, please. (laughs) That's that's what that's what that's what this podcast is all about. Transparent conversations. So that's uh, that's um, I think we learn more from transparency than we do from from anything else. And um, really, really appreciate it. So you're making, you talk about making decisions and you just shared, you said, when I make a decision to give a judgment, you know, people can't, <laughs> they can't refute that or push back. Cause you know, your your words final. Wow. Well, that's a lot of weight. Um, I would think what do you have some guiding principles as you walk in to make a judgment as you're preparing a judgment? Yeah. How, yeah, that's just, does that make sense at all?
2: Well, it does. And, and um, a little bit of a, government 101 lesson in regard to that question the when you go to court at the trial court there's one judge mm. and that judge makes a decision and that's it that's final yeah. but then you have a right to an appeal yeah and that appeal in Oklahoma goes up to the next court the court of civil appeals where three judges yeah. will look at what the one judge did yeah and then two of the three is a majority and they get to decide yeah and then <laughs> <laughs> they are people in the Supreme Court where, guess what? Yeah. There's nine of us. Yeah. That means that here at the Supreme Court, the first thing I had to do was learn to count to five because individually, standing alone, I don't have any authority. Hmm. Unless four colleagues agree with me. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I'm just a one vote. So one of the brilliances of our of our founding and, and most states follow the, the nine court membership on the Supreme court, or at least more than one is the wisdom of nine people in a room discussing the law wow. and listening to one another and learning from one another and then coming, <clears throat> excuse me, to a conclusion. And that is a brilliant brilliant model. And when I first came to the court, before I was sworn on, one of my colleagues welcomed me. And then he said something that intrigued me. Hmm. He said, you will find it to be reassuring that you don't have to make these decisions by yourself. Wow. That there are nine of us. And that is such a comfort. And Aaron, I can't tell you how true that is. Hmm. The brilliance of having nine people, many decisions are five, four, six, three. But that, sh- that is very comforting as a citizen mm-hmm. that these decisions are not determined uh, without great deliberation, great yeah. discussion, yeah. and great contemplation among nine people who are all very experienced in the law. Yeah. And so um, uh, that, it's just a brilliant model that our founding fathers created, both yeah. at the national level and at the state level. Yeah, and it's it's a great comfort in doing the job yeah. that that there are times I go in and I think I have this figured out. I yeah. know the end, <laughs> but after we go around the room and and we listen and we contemplate, many times I don't know what I thought I knew or as much. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a great model.
0: You've shared um, as our conversation and we as we talked earlier on in the week, and you you talk, you share about listening. Um, you know, that honestly I is it it was something that stuck out listening. Is that something you've just learned to do is that something you've learned to focus on and do you have to slow down to listen? Yeah, maybe some lessons you've learned about listening. Does that does that resonate at all?
2: It does. Um, you know, we we live in a world today where we really are distracted mm-hmm. as a people, individually. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us today do not watch the TV without also looking at our phones simultaneously, checking our email simultaneously, and doing many other things all at the same time. Just sit and do one thing is really beyond the norm of today's society. I learned to listen sort of uh, to the, began to learn to listen in law school because in law school, uh, you can't daydream. Yeah. Your professor may call on you to answer a question, and if you're daydreaming, it's not a very pretty sight. <laughs> so, I, no, I try to be conscious in listening. Um, many times in conversation, we are thinking about what we are going to say instead of listening to what yeah. we're being told. Yeah. The same is true in church. Yeah. Today, I think it's a temptation. We we think we can listen to a sermon and play on our phone, and daydream, and yeah. whatever. This job requires me to listen. Uh, yeah. When I go into court every Monday morning, I don't play on my phone. Yeah. I don't daydream. I'm 110% engaged hmm. and conscious in what the court is doing. And yeah. that, that's necessary. Yeah. But just as it's necessary at the Supreme Court, it's necessary in our lives mm. that we engage where we are at the moment and what we are doing. Yeah, that's good. And that's something that we have to consciously work to achieve. And I think as we go forward, Aaron, um, it will be more difficult because more and more of our attention is being sought. Yeah.
0: From, and people definitely. And uh, that that I, I asked my wife several times, what did we do before phones? What do we because <laughs> you're right. Yeah, I mean, you do you do sit there yeah. and it's you're not satisfied. This was one thing. Um, you end up, fo- you're inward, of my, my mind's divided and obviously I'm not focusing totally. But when I go in to see a patient, um, you know, they, they want my whole attention. And, um, but as you shared, sometimes I think when we listen to God, our, our attention can be divided. And um, obviously he's the one, when he's speaking, um, we want to hear his voice clearly and uh, be on the listening end. One other thing
2: that I think is important as Christians, I think we have to look at the optics of our behavior. Hmm. Are we, are we giving the impression that we're engaged in those to whom we are with? Hmm. Are, and um, sometimes we might be listening, but not given the optics that we are. Wow. And certainly uh, your patience wants you to, <laughs> give the impression that you're listening to them. That's right. and in court, I need to give that impression too. But beyond the optics, the substantively, yeah. we need to be engaged. So, yeah. good, excellent point.
0: Yeah. One last question on a personal note: you know, pastors and missionaries and public servants' families are often thrust into the to the light. Um, how have you navigated serving in the public and raising a family and shielding or protecting or whatever the right word would be so that your family's not negatively impacted by you serving the public and the roles that you have and do
2: wow that's a that's a great that's a great question um you know i've always want to be the same person at home that i am in the public Hmm. i think the most damaging thing for a family, is to have two lives, a public hmm. life and a private life. Hmm. And I've always wanted to build my private life first and let yeah. my public life just be an extension of my private life.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, that's something you can't fake. Yeah. Either you're real or you're not. Yeah. And there's nothing okay. more frustrating than to see someone or, or disappointing than to know that someone you looked up to really wasn't living the life.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, none of us are perfect. Yeah. every one of us we're, we're sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect, but I think it's important that we we build our life at home, hmm. build our life as a family, and then we go out from there. Hmm. And so I would hope that my children, my wife, that all of us, the life that you see all of us live is the life that we. Live, live at home. I hope yeah. my children have see, seen that in me. Uh, it's not always easy. Um, there are moments that no one would want, that we wouldn't want people to see, you know, behind the screen. We, right. Life is real. Right. And there's something I, I like to tell people and that I have to remind myself. If faith was easy, it would not be called faith. Hmm. Faith is difficult. Hmm. I think sometimes as Christians, we just say, oh, this is easy. Believing is easy. Well, Walking in faith is easy. I, I don't view it that way. I think um, faith is is can be difficult. And that's why it's faith. Yeah. Because we can't see it sometimes. Yeah. I liken it to flying an airplane when you can't see the ground. You have yeah. to trust the instruments. That's <laughs> that's what sort of you know. Faith when you go through life and you can't see anything, you can't get any feedback, you can't look down to the ground and make sure that your height is where yeah. it needs to be like in an airplane. That's
0: faith. Yeah. It's, Always. it's a good word. And, um, I was challenged. Someone said, you know, if it, it, if you, if you have to, I like to understand things, you know, I'm a learner, I seek knowledge and, and challenged me. He said, you know, if Aaron, if you understand it and you can explain it all away, it doesn't take any faith. And, um, and so it's been a challenging thing for me to, um, to trust, And to have faith, and um, I I didn't. I hate to lie to a Supreme Court justice, but um, I just one more question. So, as you look, as you look to the future, is there something? You're not under oath, so (laughs) that's good because I'd be a job. I didn't (laughs) swear you in. (laughs) I said one more one more question, but I did. As you look to the future, you know, there's so much going on in our world today. Is there something that you're encouraged about to, you know, before we go to prayers, Is there something you look to the future and you say, as I look, this, this is something I'm encouraged about. Um, yeah, just a word of encouragement for the missionary servant around the world.
2: Well, um, gosh, that, that could lead to lots of answers. But I am encouraged in faith. Uh, when I look at the secular world, sometimes I'm, I'm not so encouraged. Um, yeah. The world is changing very rapidly. Yeah. The church, the church is changing rapidly hmm. um, as as we see. Um, I, I'm encouraged in my faith, um, and I find encouragement in, in the word of God, which is unchanging. Yeah. Um, I think good advice for all of us is to stay in the word. Yeah. Um, I think it's the best way to be encouraged. You know, I, I look at the world, Aaron, and I, I look at all the study that we have to do as, as basically in the secular world. Yeah. You in, the, in medicine, how much right. you have to read and study and the, and the knowledge you have to keep up with and me studying the law. Yeah. And there's a lot of truth that's presented to us, um, but I call it truth with a, low, a lowercase t. Hmm. And I think every day we have to start with truth with a capital T. Hmm. If we start every, no matter what we do for a living,
0: yeah.
2: if we're in medicine or law or engineering or accounting,
0: yeah.
2: we, if we'll start every day with, in the word yeah. and ground ourselves in the capital T truth, yeah. we are much less likely through the day to be dissuaded by lowercase t truth. Wow. Wow. And so that I would encourage all of us that despite the distractions, um, it's optimistic that we have the word, yeah. that we have truth with a capital T, yeah. and it is our guiding light. And to me, there can be no greater thing to have. Yeah. We should all be encouraged by that. Yeah, That's definitely. how he speaks to us. That's how he guides us. Yeah. And
0: uh, it is our guiding light. Good word, good word. Would you pray for us today? Whatever direction the, the God guides you, would you just pray for us that we'll take the the knowledge and wisdom that you shared with us and we'll put it into application in our, in our lives and that we will be encouraged today as you share that we do have the truth with a capital T and not to be discouraged by the, the little T's that are out there. Will you pray for us? I will. Father, we thank you for this time together and time to
2: visit. Um, we thank you, dear God. Uh, first off, for your mercy and for your grace, and I thank you that you've placed a calling on each of our lives. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve mankind, and I pray that those listening and that those who are serving you in any type of profession or job or ministry that you would remind us, Father. Uh, despite the difficulties at times, that we should serve gently and that you would speak humility upon the body of Christ, upon each of us individually, that we would walk humbly before thy God, as your word says in the sixth chapter of Micah. Remind us of that so that we can be a light and that your light can shine through us and that we not be judgmental. Father, that we not be self-righteous, but that we walk humbly and that we work as unto the Lord. And dear God, I pray that you would encourage the ministers, encourage those who are doing your work. I pray, dear Lord, that you would just grant your mercy to each of us. And we're most grateful that your mercy endures forever. In Christ's name,
1: amen. Amen.